Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's that time of the week. It's Monday morning, July 17th, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at the Cantor Managed ETF Portfolios. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. The presentation you're seeing and or hearing, in case you're listening as a podcast, has been prepared by us for use with by you whether you are an investor or a financial advisor. Regardless, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities, and the information contained in the presentation is for informational purposes only. Well, three straight weeks of equity markets on the rise and a big up week last week, S&P up almost 2.5%. And that's not a typo. We're looking at 18% year-to-date through mid-July on the S&P 500. Mid-cap stocks a little lower, small-cap a little lower still. Starting to hear a lot more conversations whether or not small-caps do for a rally. I'm not ready to go big on small-cap because well, we still think we're in this sort of low-grade manufacturing recession. And whether or not it sort of spills over into the broader economy and the service sector, the economy is yet to be seen. And if we do get into a recession and a, and a market correction, you can expect normally small cap, more elastic would actually go down more than large cap. And of course we're enjoying this technology driven rally, whether it's 5G, AI, the biggest companies now in the S&P 500 are all technology related. International markets had a phenomenal, almost 5% week uh, bonds were up. Now, it's pretty rare. You see everything black and nothing red on my screen for this weekly update, but bonds were strong. Look at high yield, almost 2% on the week. High yield looks like it's going to turn in a really good year. And if, uh, you know, if I were right about the recession call, uh, you would see high yield spreads widening, and uh, they certainly haven't done that. 6% year-to-date returns for the high yield index. Taking a look at some of the data we got last week, and we also kicked off earnings season last week with the financials coming to market with the Q2 or calendar Q2 earnings. First off, wholesaler inventories unchanged. They're expected to go down again after a three-tenths of a percent decline in April. When you see these, these negative numbers here, sometimes it's just noise back and forth one month to the other. Sometimes it's a sign of, hey, uh, we're in recession, like back here in 2020. We're going to let these inventories run down uh, to save money, to save costs, wait for demand to pick up. Other times they run down because demand is just so strong and they can't keep up with it. So which kind is this here? Well, I think demand's been, been pretty good overall, but there's also this underlying sense of fear because of the higher interest rates, because of the restrictive lending, particularly to regional banks. Uh, that the economy may slow. And if the economy doesn't slow, you could see this number turn around and inventories pick back up pretty quickly. Uh, consumer credit was a big disappointment from a uh, economic standpoint last week. In May, consumer credit was expected to be up 20 billion. It was up 7 billion. That's a pretty big miss. Uh, Non-revolving credit uh, fell 1.3 billion and revolving grew, sort of revolving uh, sort of the, the non-revolving, that's sort of a time set of buying something, a washing machine, a refrigerator, a car, a big ticket item where you pay over time and you're committed to that and you pay it off over time versus that revolving credit card debt 
Sometimes revolving credit card debt growth is a sign of confidence. Other times it's a sign of, uh, I don't have a lot of savings. I need to do this because I need things. And so it wasn't a great report, uh, bottom line on consumer credit. Small business optimism remains pretty weak. In June, the National Federation of Independent Businesses reported that their optimism index rose from a low, pretty low 89.4 to a still low 91. That was a little better than expected. Um, the number of business owners who are currently raising prices, which has been a big inflationary indicator for the last six or eight months, that fell. But those that said, we're still planning to raise them more in the future, that grew. So I think they're recognizing maybe I can't raise prices now, but I still want to or still plan to. We might see that number come down in the future. Speaking of inflation and inflationary pressure, it, it is pretty clear now. There's no doubting this significant disinflationary trend. CPI for June was up two-tenths of a percent. That's the blue line. Uh, the estimate was for three-tenths, so that was a good beat. Uh, and year-over-year year, uh, is three. Now, remember, the Fed's gauge, is the Fed's target is for core inflation to be at two, and it really looks like we're trending that way. Speaking of core, core CPI was expected also to be up three-tenths, was only up two-tenths, uh, and there's 4.8, better than the 5.0 expected year-over-year. So they want this core number all the way down at two, which is why you continue to hear um, Fed voting, non-voting members, policymakers, all talking very regularly about possibly raising rates further, continuing the balance sheet runoff. They won't stop talking about bringing in inflation until that number is down at or below that 2% on the core. Same kind of story happening with producer prices, producer price index up better than expected, up one-tenth instead of two-tenths. And it's just one-tenth of a percent year over year. So flat producer price index. Core, more important again, also up a tenth. That's down to 2.4% year over year. So that's getting closer to that Fed's 2% inflation target. Import and export prices showing the same kind of trends. Uh, June import prices down two-tenths of a percent. Export prices down nine-tenths of a percent and 12% year over year. That's a very significant thing. You know, we <clears throat> inflation, people talk about what caused it. And, you know, bottom line is if prices of things gone up, you've got inflation. Uh, we had excess money creation. We had massive fiscal policy crowding out the private sector, driving prices higher. Uh, we had higher imports because of coming off the supply chain disruptions from a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and all of that has just led to inflationary pressures. But those seem to be waning and waning rather quickly at this point. So the Fed is, is probably pleased, but under no circumstances will they declare victory until they see those readings down below 2% at a sustained pace. Uh, on another strong positive note, initial claims for unemployment, very low still, nonstop, 237,000. To get over 300,000, you have to go back now almost two years. So this is really great adding all these jobs, very low weekly claims for unemployment. Michigan sentiment had a surprise for July, rose to 72.6, well above consensus estimate of 65. And here you need to go back more than two years, like February, March period of 2021, 
to get a reading even close to this level. So why, why is sentiment improving? Well, I think the inflation picture is improving. The job market is strong and is remaining strong. And this, this recession that we've all thought about, uh, and I thought for sure by when March came and we had that contraction in lending um, because of those bank failures, that that was the final straw. And so far, it's not reflecting in the data. The other thing that's not reflecting the data is this, this continued cacophony of calls for lower earnings. And the S&P 500 is overvalued because earnings are going to fall like a stone. And that discussion's been going on really uh, since late, since like November of last year, when the forward blended number for the S&P was around $227, $228 a share. The estimates ratcheted down all the way through February, bottomed out at $223 a share. And they've been steadily climbing ever since, including in the last week. We started earnings season last week and we did not get these earnings disappointments. And we again did not get uh, got lower guided earnings. And so analysts are raising their estimates. We had 28 companies, it's still very early. Most of the big financials report early like this, uh, have reported, but 23 of them beat expectations, analysts' expectations. Uh, only three missed. Still, all that being said, the market has run up an awful lot, more than most of us expected. We're sitting at an S&P, you know, at 4,500. And this little oscillating graph shows the percentage of members of the S&P 500 whose price of their stock is greater than the 50-day moving average. In other words, when this number is high, you're in a sustained uptrend uh, or it's a significant uptrend in equity prices. But it also suggests that you could have some sort of a pullback or a correction. I don't think there's anything for long-term investors to do. I just think it's interesting. It's fun to talk about. It gives me content from my commentary. Because look at this, we were down here at only 3% back in September. Now that obviously would have been a good buy. And perhaps it is time for a little correction, but we've had them before, we'll have them again. Why do you wanna pay taxes? Take the risk that the market doesn't come down to try to time it, to try to get in. Investing is a journey, it's a journey, it's a journey. You invest when you have the money, you accumulate and then you get into retirement and you very slowly decumulate. That's it. All the stuff in between doesn't matter too much. That being said, can we get a 10% correction here? Absolutely. And I think the odds of it are higher uh, today than they were 30, 60, or 90 days ago. Uh, but that doesn't mean I would sell my equity. I think I would just be prepared emotionally for a little bit of a roller coaster. Why not? We've had a great first six months of this year. If we give back a little, that's healthy. That's normal, okay? One of the other things we have in the portfolio is we have some foreign exposure. You all know that. We have three positions. We have a broad-based international equity ETF. We have a broad-based emerging markets ETF. And then we've had this sort of overweight on China. Um, and the China growth story has been nothing short of miraculous since the late 1970s, early 1980s. Um, matter of fact, you can see here the average growth rate over that time is north of 9% of their economy, their GDP. But really for the past decade, it's been well below that, obviously negatively impacted by COVID and then a huge reopening spike like all the world's economies. And now they've given that back. 
slowly growing their way back up. The question is, will they ever get back to this 9%? Well, our view is that investors have turned pessimistic. We expected this nine, they've sold off. And there's really very few sort of China bulls these days. And when the pendulum swings back, where people begin to get bullish on China again, you could have a big move in China. Historically, we've seen that it really moves on investor sentiment. So we've been patiently holding, patiently accumulating China. Uh, and we think there's, there's good reason for that. You know, a couple of little things that we'll talk about. Number one, it's the world's second largest economy. It is second only to the United States. It has far greater number of people, far greater number of people emerging into the middle class. It's becoming a consumer economy and it's really cheap. If you're worried about the U.S. being expensive, this is a good balance in the portfolio to have a very low cost but faster growing economy. They are not worried about inflation like we are right now. Low to declining inflation means that with that slow growth, the People's Bank of China, the Fed equivalent of China, has room to ease, has room to cut rates, has room to lower reserve requirements for banks, has room to stimulate lending, which stimulates, of course, economic growth. They're in a long-term rising secular story as it comes to uh, embracing markets and market reforms and property ownership and some element of choice in society. And then coming out of COVID, still in a cyclical upturn, but we just haven't had the big move in the equity prices like we've had in the US. One of the reasons for that is because the property markets have been under fire, overbuilt, over leveraged, et cetera. But slowly but surely in the last six months, we've begun to see improvements in the number of homes purchased and price behavior of residential property in China. The lack of interest in China and the lack of ownership or the under ownership uh, is driven by a lot of these things, tensions with the US, the fact that it's a communist country, there's obvious nervousness, a horrible human rights record, uh, saber rattling over Taiwan, disagreements with the US on trade policy, and the economy is just slow. But it's slowed to five and a half percent growth, and it's still very cheap. Where the U.S. is trading at a forward blended PE multiple of 19, China hasn't been higher than 17 in the better part of five years. It's a five-year blended forward PE, but down here at 11, that's pretty reasonable. But we have to be patient. That's what investing is. You buy strong. You buy good. And you wait, you wait until the market delivers you high valuation. And that's the time where you probably take your profits. Okay, economic data this week, plenty of it. We had July's flash reading, or no, not flash. It is the New York State manufacturing final reading for um, manufacturing. Supposed to be negative, line of delineation zero, came in at 6.6. That was this morning, market likes that. Tomorrow, retail sales, industrial production and utilization, housing sentiment, still above 50, so optimistic despite the higher rates. Housing starts and permits on Wednesday, weekly jobs claims Thursday. Philly Fed, which is still estimating negative, but given the fact that New York beat, it's likely to be better than that minus 10.4. Existing homes, so nothing on Friday. 
Earnings season continues. We're still in that first couple of weeks where it's a lot of financials, Bank of America, Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs. But we're also moving forward. Uh, big healthcare name, Johnson Johnson, this week, along with tech giant IBM and tech slash automotive company, Tesla Motors. Thanks for tuning in. Be back to you again in one week. Thank you. Please tell a friend.